Before we get to the podcast, I have a gift for you. I love bringing hope to you each week through this podcast. Hope is such a beautiful gift and one that I definitely like to share. For the times in my life when I needed hope, I open my Bible and allow God's Word to speak to me. As a gift of hope to you, I've created a prayer journal, Seven Days to Refuel Your Hope. This journal shares my journey through some of the most hopeless times in my life and the biblical verses that brought me back to hopefulness. My prayer for you is that this journal will help you to refuel, refresh, and realign your hope. You can download this free journal by visiting my website, dianebells.com, or clicking on the link in the show notes. Why is my daughter so little? Why is she so pale? And he said, it's one of three things. I've only seen this one time in my life. Have you ever felt hopeless? Like nothing good could ever happen again? Well, I have. And that's why I created the Hope Station. Each week, you will hear amazing stories of hope from people just like you. People who have transformed disastrous, disappointing, and depressing events in their lives into messages of hope. Turning tragedy to triumph, pain to purpose, crisis to new careers, all through the power of hope. So sit back, relax, and pull into the Hope Station the place where you can refuel, refresh, and realign your hopes and dreams. Today, my guest is Kathy Goodwin, and we are going to hear her story of how she came back after losing her daughter. And I'm just, thank you, Kathy, for giving us the privilege of hearing this story and for teaching us all how you move through that journey to where you are today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this. I, I just love sharing my story with people and helping to inspire them. Okay. So what what happened? You, you lost your daughter. Just take a deep breath and we'll just hear that part of your story. Well, life was going on just perfectly, and we were a family of um, four and just doing all the fun things that life has to offer, and then all of a sudden, one day, we were going to be going to Bush Gardens, and we had a doctor's appointment that morning, and that's when my world changed, okay. and what was happened- Was it a regular doctor's appointment? Just a It was. It was a regular doctor's appointment and we had a different doctor that day. Um, She was pregnant and I asked her the same questions I asked all of them. And it was, why is my daughter so little? Why is she so pale? Why does she have this yellow ring around her? Um, Like her mouth. Um, It just looked like she was jaundiced, but yet her eyes were not jaundiced. Okay. And so that, that particular day, what happened is they did some blood work. And she came back in the room and said they had a problem with the machine and they were going to do it again. This went on three times. And I looked at my husband, I said, something's wrong. Okay. And so what they had done is they had called the children's hospital and alerted a specialist to see us. 
And we got on the phone with him and he said, it's one of three things. I've only seen this one time in my life, but it's called Fanconi anemia. And at the time there were only a thousand cases, but he said, she's either got that or she has leukemia or she has aplastic anemia. And so we went on to Bush Gardens and <laughs> we were trying to enjoy the day, but of course we were in tears, right. not knowing what we were faced with. What and, any of those meant. Did you know what any of the right. you know, leukemia? I know. I don't know the other. Right. And, and so we were talking as we were walking through Bush Gardens, my husband and I, and I said, you know, I hope it's either leukemia or aplastic anemia because those sound like they're better, um, if you will. Um, or actually, no, I was saying that I wanted it to be a plastic anemia, not the leukemia, because I thought leukemia was worse. Right. And so anyway, come to find out when somebody has Fanconi anemia, they can, by the time they're seven years old, they usually have leukemia as well. And they also mm-hmm. usually get a plastic anemia, which shuts down all their bone marrow. Well, w- when we finally found out what really was going on, um, she had a plastic anemia and Fanconi anemia. And it was just a whole nother story in itself, um, the journey that we went down. So basically, we went and did some research with um, the world-renowned specialists in New York. And I'm thankful that we did because they measured all kinds of pieces of her body, including um, her ventricles in her brain and things like that. And that became very important because... We ended up going to um, Minnesota for a bone marrow transplant, and she, basically oh, she had to have that quickly. She oh, was seven she, and a half. What, what, what's and her half. name? What's her name? Casey Elise Goodwin. Casey. Okay. So yeah. how was Casey up until this time? What What was her childhood like? Oh my goodness! Everybody <laughs> thought she was just. So we knew Casey as smiles and giggles, okay? okay? Casey would light up a room no matter where she went. And she was full of energy and, or what we thought was energy. And, but she never could learn how to ride a bike and we couldn't figure it out. She okay. would take like two times around <laughs> with her legs and then she would stop. And we couldn't figure that out. And come okay. to find out later, it was because she did not have the energy and the stamina to do that, but she wanted to. But she wouldn't have known any different because this is how Casey lived her life. Right. She she had it since birth because it's a genetic illness. Mm-hmm. And so she had it since birth and she just adapted to everything. But everybody loved her. And it, it was just um, when we went to Minnesota, okay. um, the very first thing they do is they run a bunch of tests, but then they kill off all your bone marrow. And that's so that they can put the new bone marrow in. And we had a very young um, donor that was a 100% match. So we were so thankful. Mm -hmm. And I think she was like 24 years old. And anyway, so we went through that. And as soon as they killed off all of her bone marrow, we found out that she was very, very sick. She had meningitis. Was that the cause of the test, what they were doing, or just an um, extra... We don't know how she contracted um, meningitis, and okay. it's very rare for somebody to go through a bone marrow with meningitis. And matter of fact, they came in and one of the doctors told me that she probably wasn't going to make it. And of course, 
I kicked him out of the room um, and said, it's not your decision, it's God's. And so I didn't give up on my daughter. I wanted to be there for her through everything. But I will tell you, um, I didn't feel hopeless. It was more I felt helpless. In other words, I had been through some other challenges in my life in the past. And so I already knew I promised God that, you know, I'm always going to trust you. I'm going to have my faith in you. But this was bigger than I could ever imagine. And so what led you to throwing the doctor out of the room? He's proclaiming something um, over your daughter that was your daughter there and awake and aware? Yes. But he was kind of just talking to us over to the side, but I knew that she probably could hear. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, no, we're not giving up on her. We're going to make it through this. Um, Yes, this is challenging. And so she ended up having to have multiple brain surgeries. Um, And at one point, I even had to stay in the room with her during a brain surgery. And that's because what they do is they turn a bone mirror room unit into an actual operating room because it's more dangerous to take her out of the environment. And so um, I stayed with her because she had to be awake. And that, that was pretty challenging as well. Um, How how did you do that? How I can't, well, I I fainted the sight of blood. So how were you able to do that? You know, that is, I don't know. I don't know. I I prayed for strength, but nobody was going to make me leave that room. Um, Yeah, it it was one of those things. I knew if my daughter had to be awake um, because they wanted her to be awake so she could respond. If she was going to have to be awake, somebody was going to be in there with her. And so I decided it was me. Was that painful for her? Um, Actually, I don't really know. Okay. And I say that because um, there were times where you couldn't quite tell if she was responding or not. She would have seizures and they they would tell me that, oh, that's not a seizure because it's different than the last one. And usually when somebody has a seizure, they're always the same type. Well, I okay. found out that that's not the case. Um, she had several different types of seizures. And so one thing that I learned is that because they kept telling us how rare this was. There was only a thousand reported cases at the time. Now there's more because they've learned a lot, but they would always say statistics. And I said, okay, let's don't talk statistics anymore because she's one and she's the most important. And that's all I care about right now. And so that was one thing that helped me because I, I learned to stand up for her and I learned to stand up for us because there were even times where, I mean, I didn't sleep for 11 days straight and your body's not supposed to go through that. Mm-hmm. But it was such a um, moment by moment of whether she was going to survive. And I just couldn't sleep. I, and only one person could stay in the room at nighttime. And so I did it and I just stayed up around the clock. Um, but yes. <laughs> So what did she say in Minnesota then? And did she ever come home out of this or? Okay. No. Um, So what happened is we ended up staying in Minnesota. We were there for eight and a half months, um, right at nine months. 
And mm-hmm. she was diagnosed initially on April the 21st of 2001. And she ended up passing away April 27th, 2002. Um, and so, and all this happened during um, like 911. And so <laughs> that was another story in itself because soon as 911 happened, we were going to fly out to Minnesota. But then because of that, we couldn't fly. And then as we're going to Minnesota, we're sitting there all of a sudden we're concerned because that was the month that she was getting her bone marrow. And we're sitting there thinking, well, how are they going to get the bone marrow to us if they're not able to fly it to us? Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of challenges going on. To do all that. So this was 20, so April, it's this month is our anniversary. Yes. April 27th is our anniversary. Okay. And I'll tell you, so when she actually um, passed away while she was there um, and she had gotten sepsis and she got sepsis multiple times and she had been on a ventilator. And I just remember telling her, you know, Casey, if you don't do anything else, and this is right after they had taken the ventilator off of her. And so she was supposed to be breathing on her own, which she was, but I could tell things were just going the opposite direction from where I wanted. And I remember telling her and I said, Casey, I said, if you don't do anything else, at least say mommy or I love you. Um, And if Jesus wants to carry you home and it's time, then it's okay. And we'll be okay. And she looked up at me and I kid you not, she had not spoke for two days. And she looked up at me as clear as day. And she said, mommy twice, and then started having seizures. And I told my husband, this is it. And before that, I would have never said it, but I had been praying the whole time. And one of the prayers that I had to God is I said, you have got to give me a true answer. I don't want the gray area. It's got to be black or white. It's got to be clear as day. And that was kind of bold prayer. It was bold. Let me tell you, I did some bold things. There was one time (laughs) I have to laugh about this because there was one time where I actually fell down on my knees and I was the only one in there at the time um, other than my daughter. And I fell down on my knees and I remember praying to God and I said, I don't know, maybe I'm praying wrong. I says, but I'm on my knees now. And I said, so I need you here. (laughs) I did some crazy things, but I had to because, oh, it's tough when you're living inside of a one room BMT unit. Yeah. Do all that. So that uh, 20 years ago, you, you, you lost your daughter. What, what has transpired since then? Okay. Well, one thing is um, matter of fact, the day that she passed, um, I remember not just grieving because I felt like I went through the whole grieving during the whole process. But what I did is, the words that came to me right away was thank you Lord for allowing me to raise an angel. And that has always stuck with me. And I am in the process of writing a book. I don't know if I'll name it that, but that's kind of the premise of it. And yeah. And so um, I have, you know, I always try and look at the positive things and I always um, like, she was all about smiles and giggles. And it's so funny because you will see something pop up at a time where I need 
comforting or whatever. It just smiles and giggles will pop up somewhere. And so that's always there. But um, now I have started um, a business just recently. Um, I work full time, so I'm doing it on the side. But I started a business and I am the creator of Spark and Dippity. And Spark and Dippity is um, something that I coined and it um, stands for the art of sparking joy and happiness. And I really feel that God has put it in me to inspire other people to get through tough things in their life. And I've been able to help people on a smaller scale. And now I'm ready to go all out in a business. So that's where I'm heading. Well, could I step back a little bit and I would like you to talk about your grief journey. And I had also lost a daughter. She was uh, 22 at the time, sudden. So it's a different kind of grieving process. And that just explain your your process, because what I'm doing is I'm putting these into monthly segments. And I was saying to Lord, well, if you want me to start with my grief story, I need some other people who have a grief story as well. (laughs) And then I looked at your story. I'm like, okay. And then I looked at someone else's. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) The prayers were answered before I said that. So how, how, and it's interesting that you said, thank you. And I remember the day after my my daughter died, uh, I would say I had a a renewed faith just six months before, and I couldn't even get out of bed. So I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I know I am supposed to thank you for this, even though I don't know why I'm doing it. Yes. So why do you think that that's important to just thank God for that? Well, you know, um, it came to me and I, I guess the thing is, is when you're going through something like what I did, because it was a lengthy period, if you think about it, where we were grieving every day. And the roller coaster was so intense. I mean, I felt like we were just up and down. And it's almost like going up a roller coaster and never getting to the top. And your heart is just like sinking. And so anyway, um, as we were going through it, I felt like we were grieving along the way. Now I had a daughter who was, they were very close and they were only three years apart um, that I left home with my parents. And at the time we left, my mother um, was in the hospital with something else very serious, but she did not want me to wait. So we went on and went and it was every single one of us grieved in a different way. And my dad, um, he was so close to my daughter. And he, um, he would call and he would want to hear everything himself. He did not want somebody else giving the story, but as I was trying to tell him and all, he was grieving in a different way and he ended up passing away right behind her. And I had to give him permission to go. Um, but he had, um, we didn't know it, but he had pancreatic cancer and what he did while he was laying in the hospital room, he was sitting there taking his hands like, um, going towards him. And he said um, that God was telling him it's okay. And Casey's saying, come on. And wow. he, he went ahead and let go. And, and I, I want to back up a minute. Mm-hmm. This is such good stuff. The releasing of people, you release Casey and mm-hmm. you release your dad. Why do you find that that's important to do? Um. I think they hold on 
And I think they hold on for a reason. And my mother, same thing happened with my mom. My mom had strokes and I took care of her. And the day that she passed, because she was not, she didn't want to go because she felt she needed to be here for my oldest daughter. And so the day that she passed, um, her mother, which was a lot older, she was in another state and she wasn't here. And my mom wouldn't let go because I think she needed to see her. So I kept showing her pictures of everybody in the family um, and just talking about it and trying to get her to let go. And finally the phone rang and it was my grandmother and she talked to my mom. And then right after that, my mom let go. And I say she talked to my mom. My mom couldn't talk at that point, but I put right. the phone to her ear and you could just see the piece. And she just like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've been there when my uh, mother died, when my husband, my husband, I lost my husband three years ago when he passed away and uh, my father-in-law and each one of them was a, a waiting and then a release. And I remember talking, my dad, my dad was so adamant that he wouldn't let my mother go. And I would pick him up and I'd say, dad, I want you to think about this. I said, we, she grew up in Camden, Camden, New Jersey is like the crime capital per capita of the United (laughs) States. It's a dark, dark place. I said, you're wanting her to stay in this place that's that's like Camden. She's physically and mentally, she had Alzheimer's in Camden. Oh. I said, you always would take her on these wonderful vacations. Just think that you're releasing her into paradise. It's okay. Oh. And I think he, I, the, the fear of him being alone, he ran from death. His dad died when he was young. He ran away when my daughter died, when his brothers died, when his, his uh, grandson died. My dad just would run away from it. So this is where we're pulling him every day into the situation with my mom. And when uh, my sister and I, uh, my sister had uh, rescued her from the nursing home and brought her to her house because she said, I'm going to take care of her. We're going to make sure her last days are good days and she's going to be surrounded by people. So she took her home. Uh, We went out to do a training class that we were doing together. And when I got back, I, I stood by her and I said, uh, her lips are blue. I think it's uh-huh. time. So we're trying to pull my dad off the couch. And I said, dad, you really need to release her. She's holding on for you. You have to release her, let her go. So he stood up because what do I say? I said, say what's in your heart. <laughs> this is right. so cute. He said, honey, say hello to Jesus for me. <laughs> oh, that's special. And guess what? <laughs> She, she passed away. It's just like the, the spirit is, it, it, and they're beautiful stories of how you need to, you need to release. You need to feel like, yeah, they, they, they don't want to disappoint you even in, in that, that hour. And they, they just need to hear you say it's okay. And you, you well, and for myself, um, because I've had to do that to all three of them. Um, and it's actually been a blessing for me mm-hmm. because I can remember the special moments of that. And yet I watched um, some other people, you know, because when we were in Minnesota, we watched a lot of children pass away and we became really close mm-hmm. families with a lot of the families. Um, 
And some people really struggled because they weren't there the whole time um, because one of them had to be at work or whatever. And for us, we had decided if we lost everything we owned, we were both going to be there. The only thing that really was tough for us is we didn't have our other daughter with us. And how old was she? At the time, she was 11. Okay. So she's an older sister. Okay. Yes. Yes. And Mm -hmm. it was extremely tough. And she went through some tough days after Mm -hmm. that. Um, Tough years, actually. But the grieving was different. And, you know, it she wasn't there at every step. So she didn't go through the process the same way that we did. And, you know, one thing that I do want to say is a lot of times people will say whenever somebody has lost a family member or something, they'll say, I know how you feel. Oh my goodness. That is one thing that I never want to hear. And I promised myself I would never say it to someone else because nobody knows, even if they're going through the same journey with you, they don't know how you feel. Um, Absolutely. It's different. Everybody grieves different. And every journey is different. Every yes. relationship is different. And I think we, we say that in a way to empathize. And I've had people say things that were so bizarre to me yes. that I, I went, know. oh, my gosh. Someone had told me, I they took me out to lunch after my daughter died. And they said, I, I, I know how you're feeling. And I knew this person very, very, very well. And I knew that she didn't know how I was feeling. And out of her mouth came, I just found out that I have a wheat allergy. Oh, my goodness. And I went, I said, Lord, give me the grace. Give me the grace right now. Not to hurt her with the steak knife that's sitting right. in front of me. You know, I, you're just like, give me the grace. And but I think know, that people, people don't think about it. They don't think about what they're saying because they, they don't know what to say. And they, so yeah. it, it's almost like a nervous word coming out their mouth. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. And I, and that's why I always said, just give me the grace, give me the grace to be in this tough situation and just be graceful. Just be yeah. graceful. I'm sorry to hear that was my response. And I yeah. thank God every day because they don't know what to say. And that's what I'm saying. You don't have to say anything. Right. You don't have to say anything. One of the hard things I had, especially when my husband passed away, was when people would come up and say, well, how are you doing? Yes. Please don't ask me that question. I had to stop my neighbors and say, I am avoiding going outside. Yes. Because I can't answer that question. Well, and so that brings up something funny, too, because in the beginning, I worried that something was wrong with me because I felt like I was not crying as hard as everybody was expecting me to cry or, you know, any of that. And then it dawns on me and I kept praying about it. And it dawns on me that really what was happening is God had given me the time to grow with him as well as to understand the experience. And so I had accepted it. Now I will say, I mean, there were times where I broke down, but there were times where it was uncontrollable and it would just happen out of the blue. But um, that was my release. Is that while she was in the hospital or after she had passed away? That was after. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. While she was in the hospital. Oh, my goodness. So many times I would just burst into tears because we were hearing something new constantly. And it was a very tough um, road. I mean, it just it was tough. I never 
could have, and people ask, how did you get through it? And it's like, how could you not get through it? You have to, you have to journey through what you're presented with at the time. And I didn't think about it, to be honest with you. And, and I've learned because I've been through a lot of challenges in my life and I've learned that the way I respond to things is I immediately go through all the emotions very fast. And matter of fact, when we went to Bush Gardens that day, um, I went through the emotions that night. I figured out that she had Fanconi anemia that night because I researched it on the internet. And that was back when internet was really just starting up. (laughs) But anyway, I did the research and I said, oh my goodness, she's got all these symptoms. She has all these little traits here. This is what she has. And so I already knew in my heart. And so I was crying like crazy, but I went through all that that weekend. We met with the doctor on that Monday and I was already ready to get into action and let's, let's fix this. I mean, that's the attitude I took is let's fix this. So explain to me this process of your going through the emotions or a rapid emotional response, we'll call it. Yeah. I, I help me. I, how did you do that? What is it? Go through the process. You know, I'm not really sure why I do it. I don't know if it's just my um, makeup and that's how I am. But back when I was um, in sixth, seventh grade, um, I was young, around 11, 12 years old. I had what they called a rare illness back then, but it's not rare anymore. They actually test for it and it's scoliosis. And you hear people having scoliosis all the time, but mine had actually my back had gone into my heart and lungs. And so I was told, my parents were told that I had a month to either live, die, or be paralyzed. And I mean, it, it was one, or I say live, live by having a surgery, or right. I would be paralyzed, or I would die. And of course, my parents made me have the surgery. <laughs> um, so you had more things that needed to be done. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of where my journey started is okay. going through some tough things. And then my mom had a bunch of medical things here and there. And she, I would always call her the energizer bunny because she always seemed to still go strong no matter what. And she would get through circumstances no matter what. And so I don't know if it's just because I've had so many things happen that I just jump into, I mean, it's kind of, I'm a troubleshooter. I mean, I, I, I'm just thinking, do you like, do you look at this, that, because when I'm seeing that, I'm seeing like those little dolls that they used to have where they just, it's the, the little red riding hood. It's the grandmother, it's the wolf, it's the, you know, the, the ax man or whatever it was called. And I just see that rapid response of saying, you know, is there, is your brain just going through, okay, I'm going to feel this. I'm going to feel this. I'm going to feel this. I'm going to feel this and think, okay, I felt what I needed to feel. Now let's get into action. You know, that must be what's going on because I mean, when I cried, <laughs> it was crying unbelievably. <laughs> And, and screaming so loud that you can't hear your screams. I mean, that's how bad it was, but then it's almost like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's get in action. What do we need to do? What, how are we going to fix this? But that is where I said, I didn't feel hopeless. I felt helpless. And it's because I had to realize that I'm not in control and
even though you knew you weren't in control. So you're saying you backed off saying, this is what we can do. And then you left the rest in God's hands. Like, yes. Okay. But I will say it's also very interesting um, for people that have gone through bone marrow transplants. Usually what they do, um, we were at a research hospital and they allowed us to participate in every decision. And so it's so different than going to a doctor on a normal basis, you know, for results or whatever. And you get your results like right away. In other words, they, they will make sure that they go ahead and have the labs run the results immediately. And so you're expecting instantaneous answers. Whereas when I came home and I had different things, cause I ended up with breast cancer and stuff and wow. I'm expecting answers like that day. <laughs> they don't do it that way. Here. <laughs> so that's a different journey. So let's just talk a little bit about the grieving process. You had your sister, your husband, you know, your, then you're grieving. Actually, it, was your dad. My, um, it was my um, daughter. Your daughter, and, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the daughter and um, not my husband, but um, my father okay. and my mother both passed. Now I'm saying you're dealing with the, the grief of different people in your life. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to do that. So well, how was it different for you versus your husband versus your daughter? Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, um, so that was tough because like, being in a bone mirror unit, they only allow one person to stay in the room um, when you're sleeping because the way the airflow is. And mm-hmm. so we had chose that I would be the one. So my husband, unfortunately, he had to, he was supposed to sleep at a Ronald McDonald house, but we immediately had to move out of there because we would never be taking her there. We had to have a special apartment. So we had to buy. So he would stay at the apartment, but then it got to the point where he couldn't do that because he wanted to be close in case something happened. So he moved into the lounge <laughs> at the hospital. And so he um, he struggled in a different way. He was more analytical and he would um, remember all the details, whereas I was more on the emotional side. So we did a journey every night, a journal, and I would write the journal and I could see the emotional pieces, but I could never remember all the details because there were so many. And so he would help fill in the pieces for that. But, um, but he and I, we stuck together. We, um, it was very tough. And they said that most um, couples will divorce when they go through something like that. The divorce rate is really high. Um, And yet we've become really close um, through our experience. And then my daughter who had to stay home, she really struggled because she would come out there and we would fly her out there like once a month, um, sometimes more. But every time she came, Casey was on life support. And so she was blaming herself initially. And then when she passed, she was blaming us because we didn't allow her to be there the whole time. And so that was a real struggle. Um, and, And I can understand because at her age, you're developing a lot of skills and she wasn't able to develop the coping skills because she was going through so much. To do all that. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to keep a journal? Um, <laughs> I had a lot of support through my work and folks like that. And we had somebody that um, was doing the website. And of course, this was all new stuff back then, you know, it it was just really ramping up then. And so um, she said, I'm going to 
put a website up so that you can keep in touch with all of us and you don't get all the phone calls. And so that's how it started. And then it it just became, it it was like a blog, um, but it was just, I call it the journal because it is, that's what I called it on the site. And I would just every night write. And I will tell you, we received thousands of letters from people and people that we didn't know. And people would say they're on their knees praying and they were hanging on to every word. And if I was so exhausted a couple of times where I didn't write at night, and I didn't write till the next morning. And people were like, <laughs> you've got to, you know, write every night because it's, we're, we're wanting to hear what's going on. But um, yeah. And did that feel pressure to you? Was it helpful to you? Was it cathartic to you? You know, in some ways, I felt good about it because it was mm-hmm. kind of the release for what all happened during okay. the day. And I could give the um, the highs as well. I mean, I, I had the lows, but I could also give the highs because even one time she, um, after she had had a brain surgery, we actually um, were trying to get her to walk again. And she took three steps and just her taking those three steps were like, the look on her face, she had such a huge smile and it just put joy on all of us, you know? The people were, people were with you in this journey that you didn't even know. Right. Right. That that (laughs) is amazing. amazing. So let's talk about uh, the spark and dippity. That's just, you you made up that word, which I love. Yeah. Well, thank you. I make up my own words. So I, I, I love that. Just playing around with the words and making a word. So what is that? What is that? How can we find out about it? What is the purpose of it? And who needs this? That's a lot of okay. questions. <laughs> that is a lot of questions. So I initially started out when I said I was going to start a business, um, I kept thinking about little life sparks. So I'd started it out as being little life sparks. And then one night, um, I don't know it. My favorite word of all times was um, serendipity. And it's because my husband and I went on a vacation after all this had occurred. And we hadn't been on a vacation in forever. And we still have a hard time going on vacations. But we went on vacation to Maui. And everything was about just doing things spontaneously. And we came upon this store called Spark um, Serendipity. And I didn't know what it meant. So I had to look it up. And anyway, I ran into Serendipity multiple times. And I just love the word. And so... What does it mean for you when you... Serendipity? Yeah. Serendipity is a positive word for me. Sometimes people think of it as... um, like magic or, you know, something of that nature. But to me, serendipity is um, recognizing the moments that are out there um, in life that you don't normally see. So in other words, if you're walking out and let's say you're really depressed, but you're walking out and all of a sudden you're, you're walking in a field of flowers. I mean, it just puts a smile on your face. And and that's what it means to me. It, it just, it gives me hope. It gives me um, encouragement and I just love the word. And so recently I came up with, I like um, little life sparks. And so I like the word sparks. And so I just threw it all together and it just came to me and I thought, okay, I love this. <laughs> and I every, do time, too. every time I've said it, people get a smile on their face and I said, okay, that's the name of my business now. And so that's what I'm doing with it. But um, my hope is, so 
when I think about what I really want to do and who I want to help, it's women, um, women that are maybe they've gotten to a point in their life where they think they're at midlife. And I started asking people, what does midlife mean to you? And it's funny because people usually throw a number out there, 30, 40, 50, whatever. And I think to myself, yeah, when I was younger, I thought it was one thing. Now I'm thinking it's something different. And as I get older is, you know, I keep shifting what that means. Well, whatever age you are continues to be midlife, right? Exactly. But then it was like, you know, my daughter lived to eight and a half. And so her midlife was four and a half or four and a quarter. And I thought that is a lesson that is to tell people, do not stop doing what you love and what you enjoy and go after those dreams because you don't know when that midlife is. You don't know when your expiration date is. You have no clue. So live it. You know, and, and that is my message. My message is to get out there and, and tell people that there's more to life and not just that, but there are so many things, you know, before she ever got sick, our family always did everything as making memories with every moment. And we literally did. And that's why it was so shocking that our world just changed just like that. And I think to myself, we need to always do that. And we need to teach people to do that because that's how God wants us to live. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to enjoy life. And it feel, and I just want to ask this question because you were, you were saying before that you almost felt like there was something wrong because you weren't crying. And do you feel that at times that you have to battle that between can I be happy and I lost my daughter or can I be happy and I lost my mom and my, my dad, like what keeps you in that joyful space? Because you can see on your face, which I won't be on camera, sorry, <laughs> that she just, uh, that you can just do that. You, how, how can you do that? You know, when she passed away, she had beautiful, long, blonde and mixed color hair. Her hair color was just amazing, but just, she looked like an angel. And I remember as she's running and stuff, I used to see her hair flowing and stuff like that. Well, when she went through her bone marrow transplant, she actually lost all of her hair. And I remember thinking, Lord, please let me see her as I remember her with the long flowing hair and just the radiance and stuff like that. And that's how I see her. I actually have had visions when I wake up in the middle of the night where I've seen her running across the front yard and so forth with that long hair and, and it's just gorgeous. But um, I think what happens is I, um, I feel as though I'm constantly reminded of how much joy she brought to us and the smiles and the giggles And we even had somebody donate a star in her honor. And so we know where the star is up in the sky and we always look up to it and and we can see it. It's, it's amazing. Or what we think is her star. So. So if it, do you feel it's a choice that you're making? You're making a a choice. choice. It is a choice. Yeah, it's definitely a choice. And, you know, you can be, um, there's so much going on in the world now where people are really sad and going through a lot 
of just grieving um, of things going on. And we can choose to continue to go down that path and feel in a negative way at all times, or we can choose to back off of that and think in a positive light. And so sometimes it means you have to um, isolate yourself away from the media or whatever you have to do in order to get in your good space. And gospel music does it for me. I can put on some gospel music and all of a sudden it just brightens my day, you know? So that helps. I I play it in between my interviews. Like Alexa. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Uh, It just lights me up. I don't know. It it does. Just to feel, and it's, I've been listening to it for a long time and just working so much on my own mindset with my second grief journey that I wake up in the middle of the night and it's playing in my head. Like it's a constant. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my God. There's that song going through and here's another, I don't know if I've listened to the same playlist so often that it's like, Oh, it's almost like a groundhog day experience, but it's a good experience to say, my head is just filled with this. I can feel joy and I can feel peace. And I was talking to to my one son last night. And I said, when we can learn that we can have competing emotions at the same time and it's okay. Right. Like it doesn't mean like the sadness or the, the grief, whatever you want to call it has to go away for joy to come in. They can both coexist. It's like, that, that's who we are. We're emotional and good things happen and bad things. And if you can do that balance, and if you can go out, like you said, and find these serendipitous moments of just saying, God, you are here, or even right. feeling the presence of your daughter, like you still exist. You're, you're here. Your spirit is alive. It changes everything. And then you can go into that space of saying that this becomes your defining moment that losing a daughter becomes your defining moment. And I've seen people stop living at that point. Like they stop and the world keeps moving and they're, they're stuck in that space of grief. And I don't know for you, but the thing that kept me moving was my faith. That, that was, you know, I'm looking at the Bible and, you know, in a, why can't I remember right now? I'll remember Ecclesiastes. I'll say it. You know, there's a season for everything. Right. Well, not going through some tough seasons. <laughs> and it, there's a time for mourning and there's a time for dancing. There's a time, you know, and to, to realize that there is these different seasons and we almost get to determine how long those seasons are going to last by how we respond to that season. And it seems that you have a response to say, we're going to move forward. So what yes, is- and I have um so I I have visions sometimes like when she passed away, we used to play um music for her as well. And when she passed away, that song that says um in the arms of an angel, I could actually see an angel carrying her to heaven. And that vision comes to me a lot. And so I really feel that there was just a total connection there. And I think that that helped put it all together for me. And it's different for somebody that has lost a child, like in your situation where you may not have gotten to say goodbye. And, you know, that happens. And I think that's harder. Um, I, you know, it's funny that you're saying this and I'm thinking not funny. I think your journey was harder. I didn't have to watch okay. her suffer. I didn't have to watch the pain. 
So I I think it's different for everyone. I have a friend of mine who lost a a, a baby, you know, very young age. And she said, well, you know, it has to be harder for you than me. And I said, no, I got to see Jessica 22, almost 23 years of her journey and live with her and get to know her. You didn't have any of that. So it's good that we're, we're empathetic to say your situation was harder. And I'm Mm -hmm. feeling like, I don't know. I watched my sister, her husband had um, multiple myeloma. He went through the the uh, bone marrow. He did his own transplant. Like they took it all out, cleaned it up. And this is, you know, what was it like seven years ago? So it's a little bit different, the technology and such. And I just watched how sick he was and and the struggle. And, you know, God bless him. He was had a strong faith and he roasted that, that occasion. But to say that, I think it's human nature to say you had a harder journey and we don't know because <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I didn't, I didn't have your journey. You didn't have my journey. Right. And I just look at uh, my journey is like I said, I was a new, I'll, I'll say a stronger Christian six months okay. before that happened. And I woke up the day that she died, not knowing that she had died. And I woke up and I said to my husband, I said, this is the best day ever. I cannot believe how I feel. It's like this amazing day. I went into work. I felt like I could skip. This is an amazing day. I was telling my coworkers, an amazing day. Let's go to lunch. We went shopping, everything. It was the best day I've ever had. And I was proclaiming that, having no idea that my only daughter had died. Wow. And when I heard that, I, I, I'm driving, you know, because it was like announced I was at work and they said, you know, Diane Bell's pick up the phone. I'm like, I'm sitting right here. What do you mean pick up my phone? I'm in my office. And, you know, it was my brother telling me the story. And I just sat there kind, kind of like when bad things happen, I almost get this wall of like saying, okay, get into action. Like you, you said, and I said, I have to go tell my husband, I have to go see him. And I, I wasn't going to call him on that cell phone. This is he had a cell phone. It was like 19. It was 1998. And, you know, my coworker said, are you OK? And I said, no, Je- Jessica died. Well, let me bring you. And I said, no, I have to do this. Right. And on the way over to see him, I kept on saying, God, you're not a liar. You're not a liar. I wouldn't have felt this powerful. This is the best day ever. And I felt like as I was waking up, she was going up. Like I just had that vision that we were just, and she was transferring some level of joy to me. And I think just the feeling of like, I'm I'm not supposed to feel like that. That was a whole different journey because that grief was, I I just cried for days and I, I didn't think I ever stopped crying. And then I was reading the book Tuesdays with Maury. <laughs> I go, okay. I cut it down to 20 minutes. I'm going to cut oh. it down to 20 minutes. Because you don't, I, like I'm looking and saying, this is impacting my entire family. You know, our youngest right. son was still living with us. Our older son was in college. You know, my husband. And I said, I don't know how to stop doing this. I don't know how to stop doing this. So it was like a process. I, I had to do like a sheet. Okay. How do you feel before you cry? How do you feel after you cry? And then I would list, I have a headache. I can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah look, I, look to I look absolutely terrible. Okay. Mm. Do you, do you miss her any less? And I'm like, no, like crying doesn't work. What does work? 
it's right. Like, it's like this process of elimination of, of how you get through it. And it's just, you, you do. And I think that getting through is a choice. And I, one of the things I would say is this is not my defining moment. This is my refining moment. I'm going to let it Absolutely. refine me. Absolutely. Well, and one of the um, things that I tell people that have come to me for advice um, when they lose somebody is think of something that really brought you joy with them. And like, for instance, my father was a fisherman. So anytime I see somebody that's a fisherman riding down the road or whatever, I think of him. My mother, she was so giving with anything and everything she did. And she used to help the homeless and she used to, you know, just all kinds of things like that. So anytime something like that occurs, I think of her. And of course, Casey was smiles and giggles. So, and I see her initials on license plates all the time, all the time. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think that there are those God moments. I would call them TC Fly miracles, but the TC Fly is bigger than it's almost like a no see me miracle. Like they're so small yeah. that an untrained eye couldn't see it. And then because you're looking for it, you're looking for God's blessings, you're looking for God's confirmation, you're looking for, you know, j- just to still have joy and the memories that you had with your with your mom and your dad and your daughter. Kathy, I just want to thank you for sharing your story. And I think I know where your daughter got the smiles and giggles. Well, thank you. <laughs> she got them from her mom. And even recalling a, a very you know painful time in your life, you can still see your joy. And, and that's a miracle itself. Thank you. Thank you for showing up at the Hope Station today. Well, <laughs> really thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Before you leave, I have another free gift for you. What are you looking for in your life? A new career? Stepping into your purpose? Restoring passion in your everyday life? Are you ready to step into the new life God has planned for you? And he does have a plan for you. And that gift is to experience the power of coaching. Coaching helped me through my painful journey when Joe, my husband, died. Coaching eased me through this transition to move to Florida. I wasn't sure why the Lord was bringing me here and what his plans were for me. Coaching gave me clarity. Coaching was essential in making the Hope Station podcast a reality. A dream came true working with my coaches. Coaching also brought hope to hundreds of my clients who stepped into their purpose and passion And it all started with a free consult call. So schedule yours today. To schedule our Hope Chat, otherwise known as a coaching call, you can click the calendar link in the show notes or visit my website, dianebells.com. That's D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-Z.com. This coaching call could be exactly what you need to ignite a spark of hope in your life. Hope might be just one call away. Why wait? Schedule your call today.